Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Beyond Sunday podcast here at Maranatha Christian Reformed Church. I'm Josh Sweetman. I'm the youth director at uh, Maranatha here. And as always, uh, I'm joined by Pastor Paul, and Pastor Paul's joining us today. And uh, Paul, how are you doing this morning? Doing well, enjoying the sunshine and a little skiff of snow we got. Yeah. The cooler weather is just a reminder that we are, in fact, in wintertime. Uh, last week was beautiful and the temperatures wow. uh, in, the, in the upper 10, so, or whatever. How does that work? Yeah, something like that. So, yeah, yeah it's good. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that's a, that's great. Great chance to enjoy some stuff outside and things like that. So, yeah, here we are. This is already uh, episode 22. 23. Uh, or 23. 23. 23. Yes. 23, yeah. There you go. So, episode 23. Here we are. Uh, we're uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. That's the series we've been studying. And we're now at the latter half of chapter five uh, in Matthew and kind of, uh, and now the second sermon on the, it has been said uh, statements uh, that Jesus, that Jesus uh, goes over here in this section of the Sermon on the Mount. And on Sunday, uh, we kind of took a tour of these, you've heard it said statements, these last ones, which kind of all came with the heading, you had divorce, you had oaths, there was the eye for an eye, and then the love for your enemies. And yes. so, uh, you know, and as, as I listened, you know, I kind of thought of some, some questions. And so we'll kind of dive into those and that's kind of how we'll, we'll make our way through, uh, this podcast today. And, uh, awesome. looking at, looking at that first section, uh, the first one, so verses 31 through 32, where uh, it's divorce. So uh, mm -hmm. it says, it's been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So there's, there's a lot there. But one question that came to my mind in particular, as I was thinking about, thinking about that text, was we think about in the past, uh, people that were divorced, they could have been excommunicated from the church. Now today, that's no longer the case, but I'm wondering why that shift happened. Why was it that people were excommunicated? Now they no longer are. So first, why, when did this shift happen in the church? Yeah. Uh, so a great question. And, uh, to dive into it, I, I just did a quick search on uh, the Christian Reformed Church in North America's webpage, and sure. um, there's a statement. Um, so under the heading "Home, Welcome, Our Faith, and Position Statements," we have one on yeah. divorce and remarriage. And the position that the CRC holds is that marriage is an institution created by God. It's a covenant relationship. Um, sealed by mutual vows, which we'll get into in the next question we have. Sure. Um, and um, permanent unity in marriage is possible in Christ and is demanded of Christ's disciples who are married. And so therefore, marriages should not be dissolved as divorce is contrary to God's will. However, by persistent and unrepentant sin, and I, I think that's the key there, people mm -hmm. can separate what God has joined together. Scripture acknowledges that there are certain actions and attitudes that occur 
And uh, we talked very briefly about that on Sunday morning. Mm. Um, the church, therefore, um, is a uh, has the, the ministry of reconciliation and calls marriage partners to confession, forgiveness, reconciliation, and renewed obedience toward one another and, of course, to the Lord. And um, therefore, in, in the case of a divorce or a separation within uh, marriage, um, there is work on behalf of the church. And now, in some ways, I think that's um, people are seeking professional counseling outside of the church, which is a good thing. And that the church then is a, a place of acceptance and support for those who have been divorced, for the children, and those who are walking through divorce. Mm -hmm. um, but we have to speak clearly, clearly where sinful, con uh, sinful conduct is present in a marriage. And um, I think Jesus was not being exhaustive in speaking about adultery. I mean, adultery is the uh, greatest violation of a marriage, right? Because the two become one flesh. And so when you add another person, you're, you're breaking the bond or that oneness and you're, you're moving into you know, something different. Um, and then, um, uh, so that's, that's kind of the position that they have there. And it's interesting how you made a, a correlation, it sounded like, to um, how we're not seeing excommunication with regard to divorce happening. And, and I would kind of answer that by saying that well, we're not seeing excommunication happening at all in the church, mm -hmm. at mm -hmm. least not in the Christian church in North America. I mean, right. I recall witnessing it when I was a kid, um, and uh, it was uh, basically on this. This, you know, an individual was was having an affair um, mm. and was unrepentant, and so they excommunicated him. Um, but since then, I think I don't. I don't know that it's necessarily that we've shifted in our understanding of what divorce is, mm. or perhaps we've shifted in our understanding of what discipline, church discipline is. And uh, so that that's um, maybe another um, thing that we could talk about at some some time is yeah. is it so much that we've changed our position on divorce, or have we failed perhaps to um, take take action on on church discipline? Or another possibility why we're not seeing so much church discipline right now is because uh, people. Um, are maybe a little bit quicker to to go to other churches if they're feeling mm -hmm. kind of any kind of pressure from the leadership uh, about how we ought to live and, and how we ought to um, be in relationship with one another. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's, that's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's definitely interesting, because, yeah, I mean, like, we've yeah, seen throughout history how that's even, you know, shaped the church. You know, I always, when I think of divorce in the church, I, I think back to like Henry VIII, right? And so like Henry VIII, he, he uh, you know, is, he finds love with somebody else and he wants to divorce his wife. And so instead of just, you know, like, you know, uh, you know, and because he wants to get out of it, he decides, well, I'm just going to make my own church. And, you know, uh, uh, creates the Church of England, which is just, I mean, it's mind boggling to me how that, uh, how that happened. But, you know, I mean, there was, there was an instance of how that, you know, shaped uh, church in some ways. So I always find that uh, little history piece uh, interesting there. And obviously, 
Yeah, you know, like it's it's interesting too as I thought about uh, divorce and about how that all looks in in today's culture and especially in our in our Western culture that that you know I mean even when we think of of marriage it probably looks a lot different in our through our Western culture than what it did possibly you know in in Jesus time you know we're we look through it you know I see as Western people as you know being being happy and I think you alluded to this on Sunday and which is which is a very selfish kind of feeling right like if I'm happy that that constitutes is what makes it good or not but yet you know like if we if we kind of reframe how we're thinking about that this maybe make, can make a little bit more sense. Yeah, and, and I, I think that's a good point that you bring up. Um, and even as, as you're kind of diving into the Four Loves by C.S. Lewis, yeah, in your youth group lessons, yeah. um, we we are definitely coming at it from a Western, you know, falling in love, the feelings of butterflies, all of that. Um, in many ways, it's backwards um, because because you you would kind of go from, or if we just use, let's just for the sake of simplicity, use three loves. So you have friendship, love, erotic love, and then commitment love. Um, so, um, so if we look at it that way, um, maybe in North American society, it's probably erotic love or, you know, that, that feeling attracted to other people that comes out um, in, uh, you know, and, and that's probably the basis there why, say, maybe celebrity marriages aren't lasting. I'll just use them because they're always in the news, uh, not, not anything against celebrities. But, you know, where we're the, oh, I don't have that erotic feeling or that same passionate feeling that I've had before. And so then, then you know, it's irreconcilable differences or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of uh, marriages, I think, in North America today, uh, maybe start in, in that friendship love. It kind of moves into that other one. And then um, in marriage, that's where the the connect the, the commitment love is supposed to, to happen. I remember studying um, uh, a contrast between Western marriages and, and um, Eastern or arranged marriages. Mm-hmm. And arranged marriages start with that commitment. And that commitment is just kind of the, the baseline. And this would have been true in Jesus' day. You start with, it's probably an arranged marriage, and you start with that commitment and that commitment means that you lay down your life for the other, right? It's the same agape love that, that you know, greater love has no one than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. It's the same love that's described in what's the church, supposed to describe the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that, that amazing mm-hmm. from love, right? Um, it's that commitment. It's that, that no matter what the other person is going to do, I'm never going to stop loving this person. And that's God's love towards us. No matter what sins we commit, God's love for us is eternal. It's perfect. It's committed. Um, and our love uh, as human beings is, is not as strong as God's love, obviously. Um, and then you throw in the, the fall into sin. On top of that, it makes it even harder. And so I think um, when you, you start with the commitment love, then the erotic and friendship loves grow out of that naturally. And so what they've discovered is that there's far fewer instances of either unhappy marriages and uh, marriages ending in divorce in situations where the, in places or in in countries where uh, they begin with that committed love relationship. Uh, So that's kind of fascinating as well. 
Um, and I think that's something that we ought, as, uh, as people in church, as Christians, ought to be encouraging our young people to, to search for. You know, find someone that you're able to love with that kind of same commitment love that God has. Um, but it, it's countercultural in our society today, which I would say really is emphasizing the you know, the self, right? You need to be fulfilled. You need to find that which gives you the most joy and delight in your life. You know, seek what you need. Find your uh, whatever, fill in the blank, right? And, and yeah. that's certainly how marketing has been going yeah. in uh, culture today, right? So it's it's hard to work against that and to, um, to, to take on Jesus' economy that says, no, it is by losing your life that you gain it. It is by giving yourself to another, and that's that whole, you've heard it said section, the second half is really, how do we um, choose to have a faith or a love commitment that is unconditional on what other people are doing, that we're just choosing to love, you know? Um, yeah. I had a friend in seminary who said, um, yeah, I just chose not to make some decisions, decisions anymore. I'm like, what in the world do you mean by that? He says, yeah, like... When I get up in the morning, I don't even ask myself, oh, do I feel like brushing my teeth today? So, no, I made that decision already. I'm not going to make that decision again. It's a decision. I'm going to just brush my teeth, right? And um, when my alarm goes off, do I get up or do I hit snooze? No. He says, stop making those extra decisions. Just stick and focus on and commit to it. And then that also helps you uh, develop your own um, intentionality in life and in your character and integrity as well. So it's it's kind of interesting. If we, we focused on that aspect, uh, I, th I think things would be a little bit different. Well, I know they would be different because it's, it's you know, Jesus. This is what he says to do, right? Right, right, right. Well, yeah, no, for sure. So kind of, uh, you know, moving to that next section where where we talk about oaths and talking about being, you know, countercultural and things like that. You know, he talks about oaths and, you know, uh, do not break an oath, but fulfill. This is what you've uh, heard it said. Don't break your oath, but fulfill the Lord, uh, the vows you have made. But I tell you, uh, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven for it's God's throne or by earth for it's his footstool or by Jerusalem for it's the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to do is say simply yes or no, anything beyond this comes from the evil one. So in thinking about that, you know, I, I was listening to that and I thought, okay, but like, don't in church, we take oaths, like, I mean, like a minister for ordination or like, you know, elders and deacons getting installed, even like profession of faith. So like, how are those promises that we make in church different than the oaths Jesus was talking about? Yeah, very good point. Um, and I think, you know, in, in context, like it's always important to use scripture to understand scripture. And sure. part of that is, is looking at the context. And Jesus is really addressing um, the false teachings of his day. Mm -hmm. Part of that motivation out of the way people were using oaths was to um, make much of themselves 
without having to be much themselves. So I'm going to make an oath. I'm going to make a statement that makes me look really good. But if I end up failing to accomplish this, this oath, well, it's because of the object that I put the oath on, you know, it was the temple or it was on, um, you know, Jerusalem or on Mount Zion or whatever it was on, you know, because, because those things aren't necessarily all that reliable. Uh, therefore my oath wasn't reliable, but if they had made it to the Lord, well, we know that the Lord is perfectly faithful. And mm. so, well, if you're going to make an oath to the Lord, then, um, you better keep it no matter what. And so that's why they just came up with, so it, it had the, the look, right. That mm. they were being faithful, that they were giving these oaths and, and were, were full of integrity and truth and all that. Uh, when in fact they had no desire to follow through on, on those things. Now, of course, there were people in those days that were full of integrity that when they made an oath, they, they stuck to it because that's their word was good. And that's what the oaths were meant to show, especially an oath to the Lord. When you say, I'm going to do this mm -hmm. you know, um, based on who God is, well, God is perfectly trust, trustworthy and he never breaks his oath. And in fact, the Lord says, you know, I swear by myself because there's no one greater for me to mm. swear by, right? And mm. because I've sworn by myself, you can take this to the bank. It's going to happen. And we see that repeated throughout scripture where God promises and he delivers. And um, we don't, unfortunately, see that so much even in, in people uh, where they deliver. And what Jesus is saying is saying, hey, don't bind yourself to something that you are have no intention of fulfilling. Uh, mm -hmm. Don't don't even go there. That's just from evil. That's that's from the evil, and he's trying to make you look like someone you're not. Um, and then in the Heidelberg Catechism, and asked this question in Lord's Day thirty seven. Uh, but may we swear an oath in God's name if we do it reverently? And the answer is yes. Uh, when mm -hmm. the government demands it, so um, in the court of law, right, you can lay your hand on the Bible. I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. So help me God. Yeah. Right? Yep. Um, in order to maintain and promote truth and trustworthiness for God's glory and our neighbor's good. Again, it's that outward focus. It's focusing on God and it's focusing on our neighbor. It's not for ourselves, right? Such mm -hmm. as grounded in God's word and we're rightly used by the people of God in the Old and New Testaments. And then the follow-up question is... Uh, May we also swear by saints or other creatures? And the answer is no. A limited, legitimate mm. oath means calling upon God as the only one who knows my heart. And so mm. that's why we would invoke. And that's why it's permissible then for us to use in the uh, right. nation of, of uh, ministers and elders and deacons and profession of faith and that sort of thing. Mm. Because it's not about us. It's about God who knows us and about God mm. who's going to be working to recreate us uh, is working to recreate us to be after Christ's image, the true image of God, um, the image that we are to to show forth uh, no matter what. Right, right. Yeah. Well, that's no, that's that's helpful because yeah, then that that kind of uh, yeah, I think that answers that question of okay, yeah, when we see these things in in church, is this is this uh, is this the same? Is this different? And seeing that when it's when it's you know uh, 
for God, you know, and not for ourselves. And then that Heidelberg Catechism uh, clearing up that whole idea, because I was going to kind of be the follow-up question there was, is it okay for Christians to take an oath in a courtroom? Uh, you know, like uh, when, when you go, you know, if, if you have to testify in front of a courtroom for whatever reason that may be, uh, you know, and so uh, looking at the Heidelberg Catechism there, the answer would be, would be yes in that in that regard so yeah uh, because again in in that we're we're not pointing at ourselves as much as pointing to god mm -hmm. then, um in our vows and i mean we we actually kind of make vows uh somewhat flippantly and we could even um I, i've heard it said too like this is one of the ways in which christians uh can take the the lord's name in vain right we tend to to focus mm -hmm. on uh, using the name like OMG or whatever, right? Yeah. Uh, but really, it's it's when we say, you know, Lord, if you do this and this, you know, kind of that bargaining chip, then yeah. we'll do that, right? Um, yeah. Or if we even say, you know, the Lord told me that I must blah, blah, blah. Uh, that's actually taking the Lord's name in vain because um, did the Lord, in fact, tell you um and, and we see this uh, recently, I think uh, um, one of the, the guys that I, I sometimes follow, uh, Justin Peters, I think, uh, he had a whole thing um, where he's, he's gone through all the predictions of, of certain Christians, um, or mm. people call themselves Christians, right? Um, how they predicted a bunch of things for 2020, not one of them predicted a pandemic. Uh, yeah. Some of them predicted the pandemic wouldn't amount to anything. And here we are almost a year later. It's, yeah. you know, and, and things like this. And, and they were saying, well, the Lord revealed to me, you know, yeah. and I'm like, uh, no, that's blasphemy. You're, you're now taking the Lord's name in vain. Right. And so yeah. we have to be very careful. And, yeah. and I think that's what Jesus is getting at. He's like, just let your yes be yes. And your no, no, don't overcommit yourself to something that you cannot do. And mm -hmm. uh, as a minister of the word, um, I am guilty of getting myself committed to things that I uh, really want and intended to do, but just could not because it's just unreasonable. It's easy to, to say yes to try to make someone feel good um, yeah. and then realize after the fact that, hey, I'm just going to fail them because I can't, there's no way I can possibly do that. So it's yeah. just learning, hey, what are my limitations? What can I do? And just being real. Being yeah. Honest, right? Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's great. The, the next, you know, I mean, we kind of, you know, as it was on Sunday, you know, went through each of these, that next one, the eye for an eye, like you've heard it said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Uh, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you, uh, and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go a mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. And this is kind of where we hit on that whole uh, revenge deal. Uh, right. Speaking of, of revenge and, and that kind of thing. And this was, uh, and, you know, as this kind of uh, comes around in, in my mind here and thinking about this, like, I think back, Oh, guy, this is a few years ago now, but there was a, a physician at Michigan State University, I think Dr. Larry Nasser, and he was convicted on multiple counts of sexual abuse against female athletes. And like it captured headlines, you know, I think there's a documentary on Netflix about it, like, it's crazy. But like a lot of the responses 
to his conviction uh, were a lot of Christians wanting like the harshest penalty possible for him. And uh, it sounded like, you know, they wanted revenge. You know, he's done this terrible thing. We want revenge. They became his harshest critic. But then there was this one girl, I think she showed up in the documentary as well, but it was this Rachel Den Hollander. So uh, great Dutch name, first of all, but Rachel Den Hollander, she gives her victim statement and she notes in there that like the punishment was necessary, but also offered this word of forgiveness to this guy who had, who had abused her. And so I guess thinking about this whole revenge thing, like how do we as Christians navigate that kind of tension, you know, where, where it seems like somebody really deserves something and yet how do we offer this word of forgiveness in that same thing, kind of as like, uh, Rachel did in her victim statement, you know, how, how do we as Christians navigate that really tricky tension? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And I think um, I briefly touched on it on Sunday too, in that um, the, the whole teaching about an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth was never meant to be a personal retaliatory mm. expression. So if, if um, you know, your neighbor, borrows your donkey and, you know, abuses it to the point of death. You can't just go over and, you know, take a bow and arrow and shoot his donkey. Right. Right. Never meant to be like that. It was meant that, Oh, your neighbor did this, go to the authorities, prove your case, have it tried by whatever Mm -hmm. court system they had in those days or what court system we have nowadays and allow the justice to be done by that court. And so in the case of that, um, the individual you mentioned, yeah, um, it was right and good that he was investigated, that he was tried, and he mm-hmm. was charged and sentenced. Uh, that's a just society, and mm-hmm. and we need to promote that kind of justice in the world. But the kind of justice that we see in like the Punisher or the Equalizer <laughs> is a TV show yeah. I've not watched, yeah. so I'm not endorsing. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> just I gather from the commercials, you know. No, for sure. It's, it's trying to take things into our own hands, right? And yeah. um, as Christians, we trust God's righteous judgment. And if not in this life, then in the life to come. And because mm. we know that, and because also we know that we are guilty of our own sins, um, that put us just as, as much as guilty as anyone else we will ever find on the planet, according to God's standards, um, we have no right uh, to take personal vengeance. Because we, we would just have to end up, you know, doing whatever we're doing to the other person to ourselves because we're, if not guilty for that one thing, then guilty of other things. Um, yeah. And so I think that's where we can, and that's where we see in, um, uh, is it Rachel Denhollander? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in her offering forgiveness, she's saying, hey, you know, you've, um, in the eyes of God, your sin is no greater and no less than the sins that I've committed. Um, but to be able to offer that forgiveness is really the working of God's supernatural grace and forgiveness in her heart. Uh, it cannot happen any other way. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and that's a testimony to God and his, his amazing mercy, which we do not deserve whatsoever. And and so what, what Jesus is saying here is saying, you know what, don't go on the economy of, 
um, getting what you deserve from others or um, of, of only doing that which is required of you in the case of, uh, um, I think that's actually in the next section. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, yeah, no, it's in 41. Sorry. Yeah, 41. Yeah. yeah, yeah. you to go one mile, go with him too. Yeah. Yeah. It, right. It's, it's going above and beyond so that you're not even being that servant anymore. Now you're being a person who's giving and giving a gift, right? And yeah. that's what we see Jesus doing. Not only did he come to fully pay for our sins, but he has now imparted to those who believe in him his very own righteousness, by mm -hmm. which we are now able to live as Christ lived. Whereas before, we were utterly impossibly able to do that. We, it was just not not a thing we could even think of. Um, yeah. Now we are able to do that when we would draw upon him and his strength. So, yeah. that, and that's that what we see in, in Rachel as well. Yeah. And, and so again, like, like the marriage ones, like the oath things we see, like, and, and I think we mentioned this at the beginning of the whole summer on the Mount thing. Like these are, these are kind of turning everything upside down, you know, because that's not what we see in culture or around us is we don't see these, you know, these, these attitudes of forgiveness, you know, it's much more taken into your own hands. I mean, you mentioned movies there. I mean, of like equalizer punisher. I mean, you know, I mean, this isn't a very, you know, you're not going to, you know, in the movie, you know, you're not going to see Batman go and forgive the Joker. No. Uh, but, you know, and, and yet this is, this is what, you know, here we're seeing this so countercultural of like, yeah, no, this is not our job to, you know, bring this punishment. This is, you know, it's our job to, you know, forgive and, and to, and, and to, yeah, do that. And so I think that that's, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, and just one yeah. other thing too is, is um, there are always consequences like. Absolutely. Rachel's forgiveness of, of Nasser is not that she would let him play with her kids, you know? No. Right. Like there are consequences to our actions and sometimes right. those consequences by God's grace are, are not as uh, everlasting as they could be. Um, like I think back to King David, right? He had um, committed adultery with Bathsheba. Yep. She got pregnant and then he murdered her husband or had him murdered, right? Yeah. Um, and the consequences of that was that his son would die. Now his son lived, his and, and Bathsheba's first son together lived for an entire week. Yeah, and it was during that time of uh, that week that that David was in sackcloth and mourning and was praying yeah. that he would live, right? And yet God still took his son away, but He could have taken his son away immediately; didn't even have to give him that week. Mm -hmm. uh, so he had a week to get to know his son, um, mm -hmm. a week in which he would, you know, eventually in in heaven be able to see his son, you know. Yeah know him right and even more fully uh, whether it lasts a week or not that, that makes no difference we right we'll have our children in in heaven those who have gone before us right uh, whether through miscarriage or, or otherwise yeah but um but god in his grace could have uh repented and that's why david uh prayed you know could have changed the consequences but he chose not to because that's his right um and so we in in our interactions with one another we need to bring people to justice um, to our court of law, if that's what we have in, in, in Canada, that's what we do have. Right. Um, and, and then there are consequences to our actions and we have to, to be careful. And if we don't, and if we, if we just, you know, forgive people without 
um, acknowledging first the sin that they've committed, mm. um, then they might be inclined to keep repeating it. And so we, we do have to, to be careful that we are justice or we exercise justice along with forgiveness. Right, uh, right. It does and make it that. very difficult. Yeah, and that's that tension, right? That we yeah. that we that we live in. So, so as we kind of uh, you know, and as we wrapped up chapter five, it was this love for your enemies. Yeah. Um, and then, but looking just at this whole thing and the whole commands section that we find yeah. in the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus, I think we talked about it last week. Jesus raising the bar to yeah. how we should live as his followers, and you know, I mean, I think about it. There are times where, you know, you kind of get discouraged and you think like. Well, you know, I mean, he's like racist bar, like I'll never be able to do that. And so like, you know, uh, you know, you fail again and again. And, you know, what can keep us going? Uh, what keeps us striving to follow Jesus's commands? E even here as he's raising the bar so high and we get discouraged thinking, I can't possibly do that. Like, how do we keep going and keep striving to follow Jesus commands? Yeah, so that, that comes out of verse 48, right? You yeah, or must exactly. be perfect as your heavenly father yeah. is perfect. That's the bar. Uh, yeah, that's the part. Like that's a part. Like what? Be perfect. Uh, like I there's no way. Yeah, yeah. And so um it's 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 great that you mentioned that. And I love that. And it's something I have uh, struggled and I, I hear your struggle as yeah. well. Um, which is great because uh if if we're not struggling then we're either um, completely lost and have no idea of right from wrong, um, mm -hmm. or uh, we think we're so great that we're as without sin, and that's dangerous territory as well. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think what we find is actually um, that uh, historically there have been three responses uh, to, to this dilemma. And the first yeah. is to give up. It's impossible. Uh, we can't yeah. do it. I know Jesus is saying be perfect, but he knows that we're imperfect. So uh, why even try? Right. And so I mm -hmm. think that's where liberalism or licentiousness comes out of. Yeah. And it comes out of a, a false understanding of, of it. And so maybe in Jesus day, the Sadducees could have represented some of those guys. Right. And then the other um, opposite reaction is uh, to keep trying. I know I can do it eventually. I just got to keep working at it. And this is, this is the Pharisees. This is works righteousness. It's uh, legalism. Yeah. Uh, the prosperity gospel is full of this. You know, if you just give or if you just do this, um, someone would suggest that perhaps historic Roman Catholicism, uh, you just need to perform these acts of penance yeah. and that yeah. will make you all good. That'll make you good. Right. Um, progressive Christianity today, uh, maybe kind of a, a, a modern iteration or whatever, uh, iteration of the um, emergent movement uh, from a number of years ago in the 90s and the 2000s. Uh, so progressive Christianity is promoting this as well, right? It's a, a works-based works righteousness. And um, the, the simple answer is that neither are right. Um, neither one is where we need to land. And the third and the only way in what Jesus is really getting at in this whole sermon is Jesus is our righteousness. And so Belgic Confession, Article 22, uh, describes the righteousness of faith. Mm. We believe that for us to acquire the true knowledge of this great mystery, 
so the great mystery if um, would be the the atonement, which was just covered in the the previous, you know, how our sins are paid for. Mm. Uh, the Holy Spirit kindles in our hearts a true faith that embraces Jesus Christ with all His merits and make Him its own. It makes Him its own and no longer looks for anything apart from Him. So we're not looking to ourselves and works righteousness, nor are we giving up as though we can't do it and uh, seeking liberalism. Um, for it must necessarily follow that either all that is required for our salvation is not in Christ, or if all is in him, then those who have Christ by faith have his salvation entirely. Um, and it goes on to describe the differences between Christ being enough or we need to add to Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, so I encourage our listeners to check that out further. Um, but then Article 24 uh, also dives into a little bit the sanctification of sinners. And that's what we're really mm-hmm. looking at here. Uh, yeah. If then this is true, um, how do we live a sanctified life now in Christ, right? How, how do we live in this tension of continually failing, but then yeah. maintaining that desire to keep on striving? And so it talks about uh, true faith produced in us by the hearing of God's word and why preaching and sermons are necessary and by the work of the Holy Spirit and then spending time personally in, in God's word as well. This act, especially the, the preaching of the word of God, regenerates us and makes us new creatures. Uh, so this is the work of God through the word of God, through Christ, mm-hmm. through the Holy Spirit, causing us to live a new life and freeing us from the slavery of sin. Um Sometimes uh, I've used this analogy, uh, where you are looking when you're driving is typically where you're going to go. So if you look off to the side of the road more often, you will look back, especially a fresh, brand new path. You can do this right right after it snows, right? Um, You're the first one driving down the road. Look to the the right or look to the right, right? And uh, stare for a while there. If you're on a straight piece of road, you'll see you're, you're, your tendency is not to hold your, the steering wheel centered, but yeah. to go a little bit to the right, wherever you happen to be looking. And if we are looking at sin in order to avoid sin, we're going to sin. But if we are looking to Christ in order to be like Christ, and this is where Paul calls us to set our minds uh, on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, then we will be like Christ. So it's where our focus is, is, is a part of it. And, um, Uh, it moves us, the Holy Spirit moves us to the works that God has commanded in um, the word and these works proceeding from the good root of faith. So faith produces good deeds. Uh, mm-hmm. James talks about this as well, right? Uh, you say you have faith and show me what, we, what you are doing. Um, they do not count toward our justification, but rather because in Christ we are justified uh, yeah. Even before we do any good works, hence why the criminal on the cross was yeah. justified because of his faith in Jesus. Remember me when you come into your your kingdom, right? Yeah. Um, his faith was in Christ, and even though he had no opportunity, you know, to feed the poor or you know do anything uh, amazing, um, his act of faith was 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 evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in him. Mm-hmm. Um, we do these things. Um, not basing our salvation in them, but as uh, 
an expression of our love for God. And that's also in the Heidelberg Catechism, why the Ten Commandments are in the gratitude section. Right. So live out our faith in thankfulness to God. And our focus in doing good is not to earn anything, but rather to express our just unbelievable love and gratitude for the one who saves us um, for his own good purposes. And so, yeah, if you keep going in the uh, Belgian Confession, uh, you can dive into obligations of church members. You know, we want to do good. And then um, getting into the, the discipline aspect, right? Yeah. One of the three marks of a true church is discipline. And uh, it is for correcting faults. Um, the church yeah. governs itself according to the pure word of God and rejecting everything contrary, and then uh, seeing true the distinguishing marks of Christians, namely by faith, fleeing from sin and pursuing righteousness. And so it's, it's, it's not that we want to keep a record of our wrongs or even our rights, no. right? We just want to flee from sin and we want to pursue righteousness. And so Jesus is calling us to be perfect, as his father is perfect. Uh, not that we, we can do that, but we know that Jesus is perfect. Yeah. And so we pursue Christ yeah. and his righteousness. And we welcome him to be able to work in, in that, that in us, uh, in our lives. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's great. And so like, as uh, we, yeah, have now kind of hit all of these sections that we talked about on Sunday, we look, forward to now uh, diving further into the Sermon on the Mount uh, this coming Sunday as well, and for the next couple of weeks. Uh, so we look forward to that. Uh, we hope that as you've been listening to the podcast today, that maybe you had some of these same questions. Maybe you have additional wonderings that you know came up as part of listening to this. We would encourage you to reach out, to uh, ask those questions, uh, you know, to us, you can drop a comment uh, where uh, these podcasts are posted or uh, reach out to reach out to us at the church. We'd love to talk to you more. Uh, if you have these wonderings and questions, obviously uh, it's a passion for both myself and for Paul to uh, have you in the word and to uh, explore further what God is saying to us through his word. So uh, we just encourage you to, if you have questions and wonderings, reach out. Yeah. But no, this has been, uh, this has been wonderful, Paul. Thanks for all of your uh, input and uh, work on this as uh, we've looked at the command section of the Sermon on the Mount and look forward to what we'll continue to explore uh, in this uh, Sermon on the Mount in the upcoming weeks as well. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Uh, thanks, Josh. Um, love your questions always. Um, I think they just get us going on some good, uh, good conversation there. And yeah, um, they're they're just things that uh, that I'm sure everybody wrestles with. So sure. in that sense, it's it's fantastic. And uh, yeah, I'm no stranger to especially that last question. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. And, and so it's good just to, to come back to the word and uh, to those things like the Heidelberg Catechism, the Belgian Confession, they help us understand our faith yep. and, and what it means and how to live, right? So um, those are also excellent tools. They are, you know, 
lesser than the Bible, but they're they're super helpful. And yeah. Uh, yeah. even just having conversations with our brothers and sisters in Christ yeah. uh, are great ways to go. So thanks yeah. again, Josh. Really appreciate yeah. your uh, all you all you're doing here. So yeah, no, it's a it's a pleasure. So yeah, so if you uh, yeah catch this podcast wherever you find your podcast, whether it be on Apple or on Spotify or on Pocket Cast or uh, or on Anchor FM. So uh, please tune in, check out the podcast. Like we said, drop a comment and. Uh, God's blessings to uh, to you, Paul, in this week and to all of our listeners as well as you uh, dive into God's word and what he is saying to us. So blessings in this coming week, and we will see you next time on the Beyond Sunday podcast. Amen. Blessings to you too, Josh. Yes.